Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the start of the service, we've been walking through the book of Ruth this summer, and today we've reached chapter two. It's a fascinating story, and one of my encouragements for you is at some point in the next few weeks to read through all four chapters in one sitting. It probably won't take you more than 10 to 15 minutes. It gives a nice flow to the whole story, but today we'll, we'll split it up and just look at chapter two. For those of you that were here last week, you know what Ruth chapter 1 said, but let me just give a, a brief uh, update on, on where we came from to get to chapter 2. So in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, we had the tragedies hit Naomi and her family. They, they had to move to Moab about 50 miles away from Bethlehem, their hometown, because of those tragedies. And what happened was more tragedy. Naomi's husband died. And then later, after her sons had married Moabite women, they both died as well. At the end of chapter 1, we have Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law from Moab, coming back with Naomi to Bethlehem. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2. So let's talk a little bit about love stories. I think, can I ask? How many people enjoy love stories? You can raise your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of nice, right? They all kind of have the same outline, don't they? You have a, a couple that meet, a boy and girl that meet, and, and then they fall in love. They, they like each other. They want to spend more time together. But then, almost without fail, something happens that gets in the way of them being together. But... As every good love story goes, they get together in the end, right? Did I just describe every romantic comedy that's ever been made? That's the outline, right? And it's really the outline of Ruth, too. But, but there's more than just a poignant love story that's a part of the book of Ruth. It's not just this love between Boaz and Ruth as they now meet here in chapter 2. It's a picture. It's a picture of God's love for you. God's love for me. The faithfulness that God has in carrying out his promises and the care and concern that he has for each one of us. As we dig into Ruth chapter 2 today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see Ruth and Boaz meet. And as we see a little bit more about this man, Boaz, we'll see a heart of kindness and we'll also see a heart of generosity. Two characteristics that certainly can only come from God and also describe our God as well. I'd love for you to follow along. You're welcome to just listen, but if you want to follow along in a Pew Bible or on your phone, I am using the version that is the same as the one in the Pew Bibles, the NIV 1984. And we are on page 413 today. That's where we're going to look at the first seven verses of Ruth chapter 2. I'll give you just a moment to get there. All right, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. 
Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. All right, as we take a look at those verses and we get introduced right away, even before Ruth and Boaz meet, the author lets us in on the fact that Boaz is going to be an important figure in this story. And we meet Boaz and we're told that he's a man of standing. He's from the clan of Elimelech, so he's a relative of Naomi's. And that name, Boaz, means in him is strength. If you're really into Bible names, you might recognize that name because it's one of the two pillars that later Solomon named as part of the temple. Boaz was one of those two pillars that, sent, that stood in front of the temple of Solomon. And as we meet Boaz, we get to see a picture of what Boaz is all about, the heart that Boaz has. You might remember at the very end of chapter 1, we heard this comment that it was barley harvest. Right when Naomi and Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem, I said that was a little foreshadowing of what was coming. Because as Ruth and Naomi sat wondering who was going to provide for them as widows, who was going to take care of them, the harvest was one of those places where they could be taken care of. And you can almost picture it, can't you? The Bible doesn't lay this out for us. But as Naomi and Ruth knew that, that somebody had to go out to the fields to help them, Ruth understands just how difficult this will be for Naomi. Not just because she's older than Ruth, but do you see how it would also be another reminder to, to Naomi of how much she had lost? If she had to go out to the fields in order to provide for herself, that might be a little bit difficult for her. So Ruth volunteers. Ruth says, let me, let me go out to the fields. And the process that she's describing is a process the Bible calls gleaning. It's picking up the leftovers from what the harvesters didn't gather. Way back in my grade school days, I think I was maybe first or second grade, I had a teacher who made us glean around our desks at the end of each day. And she chose her words very carefully. You can't just clean, she said. No, this is gleaning. It's got to be spotless when we're done. Yes, I didn't care for that when I was in second grade, but it was a good lesson to learn. So here's how it worked. God provided for widows and foreigners in the country of Israel through his Old Testament law. It's amazing how God had care and concern for every single person. Because in order to provide for them, he did not allow the harvesters to gather every bit of grain as they went through the field. So you almost have to picture it if you got your little sickle and you're cutting down grain and you're going through the fields and you chop down the grain. What God didn't permit is to go back over and make sure that you had cut every single stalk down. Those stalks that didn't get cut on the first pass through, those were for the people who were less fortunate to come behind and glean and be able to grab that grain and take it with them. The rules also applied to vineyards and to olive orchards, those staples that were part of everyday life. So that's what Naomi, what Naomi allows Ruth to go off and do. And then we're told this, she happened to go to the field of Boaz. 
I suppose from a human standpoint, we could say she happened to go to the field of Boaz. But you know who's behind all of this. We just read about it in Proverbs 16. This is God's plan to allow Boaz and Ruth to meet. I mean, humanly speaking, the odds of these two getting together, not very great. But, but God was behind their meeting. Did you hear how Boaz greeted his people and how they greeted him back? Did it strike you? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? The Lord be with you, Boaz shouts out, and his workers say, the Lord bless you. Maybe that's just a little bit better way for us to greet each other than, hey, how are you? What's going on today? Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. But isn't that a great exchange to right away just let people know, hey, this is really who's part of my life. It's the Lord. It's the Lord who is with us. It's the Lord who blesses us. And of course, as soon as that greeting is over, it's Boaz who notices that there's a new young lady in his field. And he wants to know who she is. And so he talks to his foreman. And the foreman begins to answer the question, yep, that's Ruth the Moabitess. She came back from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then it gets a little confusing from there. I won't say confusing, but the Hebrew is so disjointed that you can't really tell exactly what's being said. The NIV chooses to translate as if Naomi was, or Ruth, excuse me, was in the field and working hard and gathering as much as she could. I think there might be a little better explanation. I'll let you decide. Here's what the Hebrew actually says. I had to write it down because it's so disjointed. Here's what it says. She came, she's been standing from morning until now, this, her sitting, the house, a little. The NIV says, well, she's worked steadily from morning till now, and now she took a short rest in the shelter, but that's the way they chose to translate it. I believe it's possible that something completely different is happening, that Ruth is actually not gathering any grain at all. Because when she came, we were told that she was actually gathering grain from the sheaves that were already bundled. That was a no-no. And is it possible that perhaps the stammering of the foreman is because he's trying to come up with a good explanation to Boaz for why Ruth maybe had been mistreated? I think this will be spelled out later in the chapter when both Boaz will make a promise to Naomi, to Ruth, excuse me, that she will not be harmed in his fields, that he's ordered his men not to touch her. And then later on by Naomi herself who tells Ruth you'll be safe in his fields. Either way, the point is Ruth and Boaz meet. But it got me to thinking a little bit. As I thought about those men potentially making fun of, of Ruth, the foreigner, as she came to the fields and didn't really know what the rules were supposed to be, maybe it's easy to be critical of the field talk that was going on, the, the, making Ruth feel very small. And then I thought about myself. And I think you can relate to this too. Even when we don't want to, isn't it easy for us to pass judgment on other people by the simplest of factors? Maybe something as simple as how a person talks or what they wear, maybe even the car they drive, the food they eat, their political beliefs. And then maybe it gets worse from there. Maybe we judge people by the color of their skin, by their culture. 
And I think about that when I think about Ruth because what if? What if God judged us in the way that we judged others? What if God said, the way you treat others is exactly the same way that I'm going to treat you? What hope would we have? How thankful that God doesn't treat us. We just we confessed it, it as we use the words of Psalm 103, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, as a father has compassion on his children. That's how great the Lord's compassion is for us. And he did it by sending his own son. He sent Jesus to take our place so that the judgment that should rightly come to us was given to Jesus, and by his wounds we are healed. Take a look at the exchange between Boaz and Ruth in the next verses. We'll read verses 8 to 13. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, and under whose wings under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Boaz's heart really shines through, doesn't it, in this first meeting with Ruth? And as he's talking with her, he gives her instructions to stay in his field. He offers for her to get a drink of water when she's thirsty. And then that comment that he has told his men not to touch her. She would find safety in his fields. He was going to be the one who made sure that she was protected. Ruth's gratitude spills over. How? How would you do something so kind and so nice for me, a foreigner, she asks Boaz. And then Boaz gives the answer for his kindness. I've heard all about you, he says. I know what you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi. And I want God, did you see again with the greeting as well, that same name for God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the name that sometimes is translated Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the saving name for God, the one who's faithful to his promises. And here's Boaz asking God, the Lord, to reward Ruth for what she's already done and then Bless her in the future, too, as she has found refuge under the wings of her God. I love what Ruth says next. She says, you have spoken kindly to me. And the original Hebrew, if you want to translate it word for word, actually says this. You've spoken to my heart. There's the love story. Right to her heart. You've spoken words that I couldn't even imagine anybody ever speaking to me, Ruth is saying. And what a comfort that was for her to have that blessing. Isn't that where we see a picture of our God? Our God who uses his Holy Spirit to work through his word, to touch our hearts, to speak to our hearts, to hear the good news of forgiveness in Jesus and the life that he has promised us forever with him. 
Let's take a look at verses 14 to 19 as we continue in the story. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The kindness didn't stop, did it? The next thing was an invitation to lunch. Boaz invites Ruth to lunch, roasts some grain, gives her enough that she has leftovers to take back home with her to Naomi. And then it was generosity on top of generosity. More generosity as he whispers to his workers, hey, don't make, don't make life difficult for her. How about just pull some extra stuff out of the stalks and leave it for her and then she can gather and not have to worry about how much she's taking home. It's kind of a neat picture, isn't it? Can you imagine these guys who are used to, let's get the most out of the harvest as possible, saying, what? He wants us to pull some stalks out and throw them on the ground so she can pick them up? But that's exactly what he did. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Boaz is willing to sacrifice some of his bottom line because he's got a good heart, because he wants what's best, not just for Ruth, but also for Naomi as well. And as her day of gleaning ends, Ruth has done so well that after she threshes out the grain, she goes back home and, and Naomi notices instantly, well, whose field were you in? Because what she brought back after it was threshed out, we're told is an ephah. I think the NIV footnote might say three-fifths of a bushel, somewhere in there, a little over half of a bushel. I don't know if you know what a bushel basket looks like, but that would have been a pretty heavy load to carry home. Somebody told me once that it would make about 20 small loaves or cakes of bread. And so what Boaz sent Ruth home with was quite substantial. You see, Boaz is proving once again that he is going to watch out for her. And Naomi recognizes that when she remembers that he is their relative, that he will protect and watch out for Ruth and that she should continue to go back to his fields, that more and more blessings would come as God continued to bless through the generosity of Boaz. Can I talk about us just for a second? When I think about the generosity of Boaz and how quick he was to sacrifice his own bottom line for the good of others. I think about the world in which we live and the temptations of materialism for us as God's people. Isn't it easy for us to think about the things that belong, that we have as belonging to us, as being ours? Isn't it easy to hoard our own blessings and forget that God gives those blessings oftentimes for us to be kind and generous to others? It doesn't come naturally, does it? A generous heart doesn't overflow in us without first the generous love of God being poured into that heart. What a blessing for me 
to be the pastor here at chapel, I get to see instances of that generosity over and over and over again as God touches your hearts and the hearts of so many others to continue a ministry here, a campus ministry for students. But it's always good, isn't it, for us to remember the generosity of God, to take a look at our own generosity or maybe sometimes lack thereof and say, what else could God be giving me the opportunity to do? The same God who didn't spare, talk about generosity, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what God is saying? That when we are generous with the things that God has given us, then God is going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to watch over us. Let's wrap up the chapter in verses 20 to 23 of Ruth chapter 2. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not, not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Again, Naomi identifies more than just a relative. Yes, he is connected to Elimelech through the same clan. He has special legal standing. She calls it the kinsman redeemer. That word in the original Hebrew is goel. It's the same exact word that Job uses in Job chapter 19. I know that my redeemer lives. This was a legal standing that someone had. It gave them both the honor and the responsibility of protecting and providing for someone who was their close relative. In Naomi's case, it really came down to her land. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the Leveret Law. We're going to come back to that in the weeks to come. The idea that a man's brother, if he died without leaving an heir, would actually be responsible for providing an heir through his older brother's wife so that the land would continue to be a part of that family. Well, the kinsman-redeemer law is the same thing. So here's Naomi, a widow. No sons anymore, no husband and when she is gone, her land is going to revert to somebody else. She has no heir to carry it on. And so what was supposed to happen as God protected people who were less fortunate is that one of her close relatives would purchase the land, would farm the land, and then provide for Naomi until she died. And then that land would revert to that person's family. So that's what the kinsman redeemer would do. That's the status that Boaz has, and that's going to come up again in later chapters. But there's the picture, isn't it? Someone who's a provider, someone who's a protector. That's Boaz for Ruth and Naomi. But even more, that's our God for us. When we call Jesus our redeemer, he's the one who bought us back from sin, from death and the devil. He's the one who gave us status and standing before God as sons and daughters. It's Jesus who gives us a future hope, not just goodness for this life, but for a life forever with him in heaven. Next week, we're going to see that Ruth 
and Boaz need a little push. And so Naomi is going to be the matchmaker that kind of brings Boaz and Ruth together. Some takeaways from our, our devotion today. Number one, the kindness of Boaz serves as a picture of God's kindness to us and all people. Paul wrote it this way to Titus, when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us, not by righteous things we have done, but by his grace and mercy. Number two, the generosity of Boaz serves as an encouragement for our own generosity, all based on the generosity our Savior has for us. You know the grace of, our own, of your Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Finally, number three, we are redeemed by Jesus, bought back for God. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote this, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Anybody ever been to Brazil? You can raise your hand. No Brazil tra travelers in here. Okay, do you recognize the Christ our Redeemer high on a hill in Rio de Janeiro, right? What I'm told is it's about 98 feet tall to the, to the base, and I think the base is another 25 to 28 feet. So towering over that city is this picture of Jesus with his arms outspread. It's kind of become an icon for the Christian faith, I suppose. It's listed as one of the new wonders of the world. It's amazing to, to be able to look up, I bet, and see that on a daily basis. But we don't need a statue to know that Christ towers over our lives. We don't need to be in Brazil to know that our Savior is the one who's watching over us, providing for us, protecting us. That he's the one who invites us to come to him when we're weary and burdened and he will provide rest for our souls. Jesus is the one who's redeemed us. The one who makes us one with God, who gives us the gift of eternal life. And because Jesus has done that, the book of Ruth and every book of the Bible is the greatest love story ever told. The love of a heavenly father brought through his son to you and me for a life of love with him forever in heaven. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.